We have an amazing experience here at Parkway Fellowship on Sunday morning. With the worship and the kids ministry and the student ministry and the teaching, there's a lot to get out of church on Sunday morning. But that doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of what Parkway Fellowship can do for you during the week. A place where you can grow spiritually, where you can find lasting friendships, where you can be cared about and care about other people, that happens in small group. Small groups are the other half of what we do. There's just something special about meeting with a small group of people and sharing a meal with them and studying the Bible with them. We have numerous groups to fit your needs. We have sermon-based groups where they take a deeper look at the Sunday morning message. There's life stage groups like singles groups, newly married groups, empty nester groups, financial peace groups, divorce recovery groups, uh, uh, just general recovery groups. And we also have Bible-based groups where the groups study a specific book of the Bible. But small groups aren't just for adults. There's also small groups for your kids and for your teenagers as well. I have a lot of priorities. That means school, football, and other activities. But I make sure that small groups is always a must-have on my schedule. Having the opportunity to discuss the Bible and have leaders pray for me always outweighs anything on my schedule. We get to hang out with our friends at small groups on Wednesday nights. We have a blast with our leaders and get to connect on a way deeper level than we do at school. After our house flooded, small group members were the, the first to respond. They provided us a place to stay, food, clothing. Most importantly, they uh, prayed for us. When people open the word, pray, fellowship, and support one another, it's beautiful. At Parkway Fellowship, small groups are a big deal because it creates a community for you and your family. So today, I want you to sign up yourself and your entire family for a small group so that this fall you can study the Bible and care for other people. Good morning. So glad that you're here. I'm telling you, God's got some great stuff in store for you today as we continue with our message series, The Christian Atheist. This is part two of that series. Look, and it's not like a person can actually be a Christian and an atheist at the same time, okay? Um, but yet, there, there really are places in our lives where, you know, we demonstrate faith and we follow God and believe in God, you know, like a Christian, but also where we act and behave like he's not real, like an atheist. You see, like, that's not what Jesus died for. Jesus didn't die so that we could live our lives like that. Jesus died so that we could have a relationship with God while we're here on this earth. He died so that God wouldn't just be, you know, just a Sunday morning activity just to cram into the calendar, or that God would be you know, the last place to turn if we've got nowhere else to go. That, that's not what God wants. God wants so much more for you, and he wants so much more for me. He wants so much more you know, for all of us. God wants to be an integral part of every part of our lives. Okay? Now, there are multiple places in life where the truth is we actually do act like a Christian atheist. Where we just live like, yes, we, we say we believe, but yet we act like he's not real. And one of those areas is actually in the area of prayer. So have you ever heard someone say, well, all there is left to do now is pray? 
Or like, well, I mean, I guess we ought to pray. You see, statements like that betray the fact that in those instances, like we really do, do view prayer kind of as a last resort. It really is a last resort for us in those moments. And um, those statements, you know, reflect our heart. And don't, don't, don't freak out like if you've said something like that before because the truth is, like personal confession, like I've said stuff like that before, okay? For instance, many years ago, many, many years ago, a guy at church um, contracted a horrible kidney disease and literally for months, I mean, underwent like really intense treatment and then none of that worked, did some experimental treatment, dialysis, but like literally nothing had an effect. And so finally, literally, after almost a year of this, I remember we got together, and I said, I was like, well, I guess all that's left to do is pray. And you know, and I've thought about that, I thought, really? Like, it, it's almost as if I, I was, my, my attitude was like, you know what, we're going to try everything we can possibly think of to try, and we exhaust all of our options, then I guess we'll pray. I mean, that's what it was like because, you know, the truth is if I really give all of my effort, I do everything that I can possibly think of to do, and I try everything before I try prayer, I'm functioning like a Christian atheist. I mean, and so my approach back then was like, well, I mean, I'll just try everything I can, and then we'll, then we'll try prayer. I mean, it's like... It would be like me fighting an eighth grade bully all on my own. And all the whole time, I've got J.J. Watt standing right beside me, like, ready to jump in and help. All I got to do is ask, right? But that's, and that's, but that's what it's like. And so here's what I've realized. And this is your first feeling of the morning. I've realized this. Prayer is not my last resort, but my first best resort. Prayer is not my last resort, but my first best resort. Let's all repeat that out loud together, okay? Ready, go. Prayer is not my last resort, but my first best resort. Absolutely. See, we need to get to the place in life where, where prayer, prayer is our default. Like prayer, is, that's our first reflex. It's our go-to. It's the first thing that we think of not the last. And to help us make that kind of a transition in our life, we're going to look at a story in the Bible where we learn the perils of making prayer last when it really should be first. And to help demonstrate that for us, we're going to look at a story of where the disciples get into a boat with Jesus one day on the Sea of Galilee. So Look what it says. And this is how the story starts, and then we'll kind of work our way through the story as the message continues. So, Matthew 8, 23, the Bible says this. It says, then he, and that's Jesus, got into the boat, and his disciples followed him. <clears throat> Without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake, so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. All right, so if we view prayer as a last resort, when prayer is my last resort, 
there are several things that are true of my life. Here is the first thing that's true. The first thing that's true is this, is that my boat can't handle the storms. My boat can't handle the storms. Now look, if you've you've ever been to Israel, you've seen this, okay? In fact, I'm actually leading a trip to Israel late this October. Um, If that's on your bucket list and you want to go, I actually have five spots that are left on that trip. But you need to see me because the deadline to sign up is this week. So, like, catch me right after church and I'll give you the details. Um, But if you've ever been to Israel, you've seen this. um, Because several years ago, um, they discovered a boat from the day and time of Jesus. It was submerged in the mud. They were able to excavate the boat boat and preserve it. In fact, um, here is, well, let's just roll this. You'll see it. This is what it looks like. Check it out. Now, you can see from this boat that the walls of the boat are really low, right? So if there was a storm on a lake, like you could see, or on the Sea of Galilee, you could see how easily the waves could crash over the sides of the boat. And the boat's pretty big. I mean, you could easily fit 13 people in the boat. And so Jesus would have been asleep somewhere right up there, like in the very front. Okay? So that's, that's the boat. And, and it's clear. Like, look at this. There is no way that that boat is big enough to handle a really big storm, right? Look, and just like the disciples trusted that boat to get them across the lake, the truth is we trust in different boats to get us through life, don't we? We trust in different boats to get us through life. I mean, some people trust in the boat of money. They think, you know what? I've got enough I've accumulated enough, I've saved enough, I've invested enough, I've got enough to retire on, pretty much, I've got enough to weather whatever storm might come my way. Other people, they trust, they trust, in, they trust in love to get them through. They think, oh baby, as long as we got each other, we're going to make it through, that's all we need. Other people, other people trust in their health. They think, you know what, as long as I'm healthy, as long as I'm in good shape, like I'm strong enough, like I can always start again, like it's going to be good. I'm okay because, you know, after all, if you haven't got your health, you haven't got anything. Okay. Well, what happens if you lose your job and simultaneously some sort of a massive financial crisis comes and literally just wipes everything out? Well, what then? Or what if your spouse comes to you and says, I don't love you anymore, and walks away? Or what if you found out your spouse is cheating on you? Or what if you receive a diagnosis and there's a tumor? Or you find out it's Alzheimer's? Or there's some other sort of debilitating physical illness that you're going to carry with you the rest of your life. Well, what then? You see, all of those things are completely outside of your control. And I'm going to tell you, storms in life are going to come, okay? That, that much is certain. So the truth is, what is it you're trusting in to get you through? What is your 
boat. Look, and I'm telling you, if your boat is anything or anyone else other than Jesus Christ, your boat isn't big enough. Your boat isn't big enough to handle the storms that are coming. And that's why viewing prayer as a last resort is so incredibly inadequate. Because, look, if you're trusting in uh, something other than Jesus Christ to get you through this life, I'm telling you, God is going to allow a storm to come in your life that is, uh, that's going to you know, crash over the sides of your boat to show you that your boat is inadequate and that you need him. That's what's going to happen. So look, save yourself a ton of heartache and put your full faith and trust in God now. Because whatever boat you're, you're in, it's not big enough anyway, right? Okay, here's the second thing that's true if we view prayers as the last resort. The second thing that's true is this, is that it feels like Jesus is asleep. It feels like Jesus is asleep. Now, I have always thought that this was like the oddest part of the story, right? It's like, here's this storm, like waves are crashing over the side of the boat. And look, and now you've seen the boat, like you see, and by the way, that is not the boat that Jesus was in that day, okay? That's just a boat from the era of the time, but it's, they would have been in a boat exactly like that. So there's, the boat's rocking, and waves are crashing over the side of the boat, and like Jesus is asleep in the front of the boat, Really? Now look, let me just tell you this. There is nothing in the Bible that, that would make us think that Jesus isn't really asleep, okay? So he, you need to hear me say this. He was probably really asleep, okay? But like I've always wondered if maybe he was doing what like some parents do when they want to know what their kids really going to do if they think their kids aren't getting watched, you know? Like I wondered if Jesus was asleep in the front of the boat like, but like had one eye open. <laughs> You know, it was like, I want to see what they're really going to say. I mean, I just, but look, I mean, well, look, so whether it was Jesus really asleep or whether he was fake sleeping, it doesn't really matter because, look, to the disciples, it still felt the same, okay? So, you ever been through something in your life where you felt like God was asleep? You ever been through something in your life where you felt like God was like a million miles away? You ever been through something where you have been giving your best effort and you're giving it all you can and it just, you're trying as hard as you can and it just feels like Jesus is asleep at the wheel? You ever been through something like that? I'm telling you. I think sometimes, <clears throat> sometimes the Lord allows that kind of thing to happen. When you view prayer as a last resort. Because look, he wants you to get to the end of your rope until you realize all you have left is him. And God's going to allow you to go through a storm. And he's not going to fix that kind of storm right away until you get to the point in your life where you realize that all you need is him. Because he's all you have. He's the only option. And until you realize that Jesus is the only one that can actually calm those kinds of storms, then I'm telling you, it's going to seem like he's asleep at the wheel. It's going to seem that way. Now, third thing that's true is this, is that my fear overwhelms my faith. My fear overwhelms my faith. 
Now, to me, this is like the most interesting part of the passage, okay? I want you to look at what Jesus tells the disciples, you know, like after they go to, you know, wake them up, okay? So here's what he says in Matthew 8, beginning verse 24. Um, I'm sorry, that's not verse 24. Uh, Let's look at verse 26. Verse 26. He says, it says, he replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? You have little faith. Why are you so afraid? Now, in several places in the Bible, when Jesus talks to the disciples about their faith, he tells them, hey, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? But that's not what he says here. Here, he tells them, why are you so afraid? He talks to them about their fear, okay? And I think he does that because the real enemy of faith is fear. It's not doubt. See, doubt just, doubt just simply means that you're unsure. But a lack of faith means that, like, I don't trust at all. And I'm telling you, fear is really the enemy of faith. Because I'm telling you, when you it, it's when fear comes, that you, that's when you're scared to really take a step of faith. That's when you're really scared to trust God. That's when you're scared to really put it in his hands. That's when you're scared to really do what it is that God's asking you to do. It's all about fear at that point. And that, I'm telling you, fear can just crash over the side of your boat and just can overwhelm your faith. And it can overwhelm it in a hurry. It can. And I've seen it happen. It happens to so many people. And so when that fear overwhelms our faith, we get to this cycle where we think, well, God, what, like, if I do that, what's going to happen? Like, what's going to happen to our family? Like, what's going to happen to our kids? I mean, are we going to have to move? I mean, is there going to be enough? I mean, what if and what if and what if and what if we play these games, we get in these middle games? And because I'm telling you, it's so fearful. And as long as we act in fear, it, all those waves of fear will just crash over the sides of our boat one after another. And God says, look, just just trust me. Just have faith. Oh, you of little faith. Why are you so why are you so afraid? Because there's no need to be afraid if Jesus is in your boat. So, for us, if Jesus is in our boat, if we're really really viewing prayer as our first best resort, if we're really viewing as our first best resort, what is going to be true of us? Well, here's what would be true of us. The first thing that would be true is this, is that I go to Jesus first. I go to Jesus first. Now, look, that's a pretty easy feeling. Like, you probably already guessed that one, okay? Like, I just handed you that one. But let's read closely what happens. Let's look at what happens. In Matthew chapter 8, beginning verse 21, let's, let's reread these verses. Without warning, a furious storm came upon the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him up saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. Okay, well, now hold on. Look, I want you to look at this story for just a second, okay? Look, the disciples didn't go to Jesus first. They went to him last, okay? Now, we know from the passage that the storm came up on the lake suddenly. So, they had no time to react, okay? They, they didn't, essentially, they did not have time to paddle toward the shore, which meant that they were several miles out into the water. 
They were, all, they were too far to paddle to shore. But, get this, when they saw the storm coming, they didn't go to Jesus. When the waves started to get rough and the boat started to rock, they didn't go wake up Jesus. When the first wave came over the side of the boat, they didn't go get Jesus. When the boat started to fill up, they didn't go get Jesus. They only waited until literally they were in danger of drowning and the boat was in danger of finally sinking that they finally went and woke Jesus up. They went to Jesus last. They went to him last. But look, when prayer is our first best resort, like that's our default, that's what's in us, we don't go to Jesus last. We go to Jesus first. We go to him first without hesitation. And so if that's true of us, well, then what would that look like? Like, let me give you some practicals of what that would look like. Let me, and these are your bullet points, okay? The first is this, is that I would pray at church weekly. Is pray at church weekly. You may or may not know this, but we have started on Tuesday nights opening up this room for prayer. Tuesday nights at 7 p.m. It's just open for prayer. It's for an hour. People, it's a come and go, very casual kind of thing. It's open for prayer. You come in and you can pray about things. You can have somebody pray for you. But listen, let me just tell you this. Our country is not going to change unless we pray. Our world is not going to change unless we pray. This, this next generation is not going to change unless we pray. I'm telling you, our culture is not going to change unless the Christians in the United States of America rise up and begin to call on God and say, God, we need you to come and do what only you can do. We need you to change our country and our nation in the course that we're going on. And Tuesday night is a great way to take a big stab at that. So come Tuesday. Look, if you only come for 15 minutes, come for 15 minutes. If, you're, if you come late, come late. But come. Because if prayer is your first best resort, then come. Second thing that would be true of us is this. Is that um, I ought to pray at meals publicly. I ought to pray at meals publicly. This last week, after Amy and I... Um, dropped off the kids their first day of school this last year. Um, she and I, we went to IHOP. I was going to say to celebrate, but that's not really true. Um, it, <laughs> to commemorate this new chapter in life, okay? That's, so we went to IHOP that day. So after we, you know, we sat down, the, the, and there was an elderly couple right beside us, and they had just been served their food. And um, they reached across the table and held hands, and they prayed over their meal. And Amy and I, we were just so blessed just, just to watch that because it reminded us that we're not alone. We're not alone. I'm telling you, the media would want you to think that no one else in the world actually believes anymore. That's not true. There are tons of people that still believe. There are tons of people that still follow. There are tons of people that are still obedient. Sometimes you just don't see it. And so you know what? If prayer is your first best resort, you ought to pray over your meals publicly. 
Because you never know, first off, who that's going to encourage. And secondly, if you're willing to pray over something small like a meal, then you're clearly willing to pray and trust God for something big like a storm, right? Okay, third thing I can do is this. I can pray on my knees privately. This is just the third bullet point, okay? But I can pray on my knees privately. Now, that, honestly, for me, this is the one thing that's helped me personally more than anything else we're going to talk about today. Because if Jesus is really first place in your life, then I want to encourage you, when you pray, and I'm talking about when you're at home privately, when it's just you and God, when you're having a devotional time alone with God, which is just you and God, pray on your knees. Every great man and woman of God that I've ever known or ever, ever read about, all of them have always prayed on their knees. So I would encourage you to do the same. Pray on your knees. Now look, I know, it, you might have some sort of a, you know, a physical thing where you can't actually pray on your knees. I get that, that's okay. But if you can, pray on your knees because get this, it puts God in his rightful place and you in yours. So pray on your knees. Okay. Number two, the second really big thing that's true of us, if prayer is our first best resort, is this. Is that my trust is in his power, not my efforts. My trust is in his power, not my efforts. Look at verse 26. It says this. He replies, Jesus, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? Get this. Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. See, when you view prayer as your first best resort, you're saying that you trust in his power and not in your efforts. Because look, I'm telling you, I can guarantee you, the disciples had been paddling as hard as they could. They've been bailing as fast as they can. And they finally got to the place where they realized their efforts were not enough. Their efforts, it was not going to make a difference. And so that's when they went to Jesus. And so you need to get to the point in your life where you would say, you know what, Jesus, it's not about my effort and all that I can do. It's about your power and what you can do. Because Jesus, like, you've calmed an actual storm with just words. Then for sure, he can calm an actual storm in your life. I mean, you got to finally get to the place where you say, you know what, Jesus, my efforts aren't going to make a big enough difference to save things. And so I trust in you. It's like you're finally turning to J.J. Watt behind you and say, a little help here, please? And you'll be amazed at what he'll do. Which leads us to the third point. Number three is this, is that Jesus brings calm to my circumstance, my heart, or both. Jesus brings calm to my circumstance, my heart, or both. I mean, this just blows me away. Look at how it ends. Verse 26, it says this, and it was completely calm. And it was completely calm. I mean, can you imagine that? I mean, at one point, I mean, the, the, the sea is rocking and the waves are crashing over. They're bailing and paddling. As hard. And they literally think they're about to drown. Then, whoosh, like in a moment, 
Like, now it's calm. And I'm sure that just wrecked the disciples on the inside. I'm sure it did. So, he calmed that storm. And he'll do the same for you. If you'll reach out to him first. Now look, let me just say this. He might not, I can't guarantee you that he's going to calm every storm in your life. Because God might have other purposes, and so he's going to need to let that storm remain for a little while. But I'm telling you what, sometimes he might. And I've seen it happen. We, we, one time a few years ago, we had a, a night of prayer here at this church. And a guy came, um, sat literally in the front row for that night for prayer. He had stage four cancer. He had an appointment the next day. And, but he, the doctor told him, you have less than three months. We just, but, I mean, we're pretty much at the end of what we can do. Came that night and said, I need prayer. We prayed for him that God would miraculously heal him. He went to his appointment the next day, called the church that afternoon, and said, hey, I just need to let you know, I am completely cancer-free. I walked in yesterday, stage four, less than three months to live. And now I'm cancer free. I'm telling you, I have seen God completely calm whatever storm. And he could do it for you. I've seen God take, a mar- take marriages that literally one day from a divorce being final and pull it out of the fire. I've seen it happen. Now, he might not calm your storm. In those instances, he'll calm your heart. You'll, you'll get, you'll, you'll, and here's what it looks like. It's like you'll, you'll be in this place of like turmoil and, you should, and you'll say to yourself, you know what? Like I should be freaking out right now. Like I should be on the verge of losing it right now. But I'm not. And I can't explain it. Well, I'll tell you what that is. That is what the Bible describes as a peace that passes all understanding and we're going to talk more about that next week so here's the deal sometimes god will calm calm the storm sometimes he'll calm your heart sometimes he'll calm both but get this he'll do neither as long as prayer is your last resort so make it your first best resort choose to live like a christian not like a christian atheist Say to God this morning with all your heart, say, God, I tell you this morning that prayer is not my last resort. Prayer is my first best resort. Okay, now one more thing before we go. One prayer that everybody needs to pray at some point in time in their life is the prayer to become a Christ follower. To ask Jesus to come into your life to forgive you and promise to follow him as best you can. Look, if you've never done that, you need to do that first because look that gets Jesus into your boat otherwise you're out in the world just sailing as best you can on your own you need to get Jesus into your boat you need to let Jesus come into your life and you do that by praying and asking to come into your life to forgive you and promise to follow him as best you can doesn't mean you're going to be perfect but you're going to follow him as best you can that gets Jesus into your boat if you've never done that before then start there there's a prayer at the bottom of your message I'm going to take a moment I want you to pray that prayer right now Now, for everybody, I want you to bow your head, close your eyes. Let me pray for all of us. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for today and for this this message and for what happened on the Sea of Galilee that day. 
Thank you that that story reaches across the centuries into our hearts to inspire us to turn to you first and foremost. And I pray for every person that's going through a storm right now that you would help each one of them, God, to turn to you. And God, that you would calm that storm or you'd calm their heart or both. And for all of us, I ask that you would help all of us put prayer first as it should be. Bring us back next week so we can learn more. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen.